A report on DCS spurs action from the governor. The Trump administration temporarily solves a problem it created. That plus Democrats nominate their statewide candidates and more on Indiana Week in Review. The week ending June 22nd, 2018. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, Governor Eric Holcomb announced he'll spend $25 million from the state's surplus to help implement an independent evaluator's recommended changes for the Department of Child Services. Some of the challenges identified, overburdened and underpaid workers, too many children in foster care, and a, quote, culture of fear among DCS workers. Governor Eric Holcomb says half of the evaluator's recommendations were in past reports but not implemented. He says the immediate $25 million infusion will begin to address some issues, including better pay for DCS workers. Democrats say they're encouraged by the governor's action, though they question why it's taken so long. The evaluator also recommends structural changes to the agency. For example, it suggests the state's caseload requirements, how many cases DCS workers should handle at once, should be redefined. The agency has never met its caseload standards, but DCS Director Terry Stigdon says adjusting the definition isn't about ensuring the state finally meets those requirements. Are things finally going to turn around at DCS? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien. Leslie Weidenbenner, managing editor of the Indianapolis Business Journal, and political analyst John Katzenberger. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House reporter Brandon Smith. And Delaney, are you encouraged by Governor Holcomb's immediate action, at least to some of the report? Well, it's a, it's a first step, okay? We don't know how big a first step it is because we don't know how big the problem financially is. Um, some of this is going to raise us. We don't know how many new hires there are going to be. There are, you know, there are a lot of unanswered questions. The thing that worries me is that half of these recommendations have been asked for in the past and not implemented. And this has been their watch for 14 years, and they haven't solved the problem. So I don't know that this is going to solve the problem. And what concerns me is that we've got these caseworkers, as we've said for years, overworked and underpaid. Now, they're going to get a raise, or at least some of them are going to get a raise. But in terms of overworking them, their response is to change the definition of a case. So instead of having a case be a child, it's now going to be a family. That doesn't mean it's less children that this caseworker is dealing with. It just changes the statistics to make it look better. I don't think that's a very encouraging sign. And the only th other thing that worries me is the allegation that there's a culture of fear in that agency. Okay, 14 years they've been in charge, and there's a culture of fear. My first question is why, how did it develop, and what are you going to do about it? And there wasn't anything said about that, to my knowledge. And the other thing that concerns me is how many other agencies have that same culture? Uh, you know, it's, well, it's not, something I mean, that's really... seems pretty unique in terms of the problems they're Well, we with. haven't studied the other agencies either, have we? I want to ask about this idea of Governor Holcomb when asked about the fact that, I mean, he was the one who said half of these recommendations were in past reports, yeah. five past reports. Right. But he also said, I'm not here to talk about the past. I'm here only to look forward. But don't we kind of need to also look to the past to go, why was nothing done and, or how did this culture of fear get created? Isn't there some looking to the past that needs to go on? I think they're spending more time looking at solutions going forward than they are trying to relitigate 
previous reports that span several years. Um, you know, and I think the governor hit that head on, uh, as you just mentioned, and said, look, this is on my watch now, and we're going to get this done. And he came with very specific recommendations. Added Todd Meyer, Boone County prosecutor, to come in and implement these things. He was a strong advocate for, for children when he was uh, a prosecutor, started, started an advocacy agency, an advocacy, child advocacy center on his own, um, made personnel changes, took money out of the surplus, which is why we maintain a surplus, so we've been in situations like this, we can uh, leverage resources. And some of the recommendations were uh, to bring, to, Ann mentioned changing kind of definitions of the family or the child, and um, to bring Indiana into line with uh, some other national, with, with national standards, which, which was discovered in this, um, in this study that Indiana's out of step. And we, um, you know, so I think there's, there's good recommendations in here. It's a good start. I think probably more has been done in the first 24 hours of this report being released than maybe the previous ones. I don't remember a lot being done when those, not, certainly not immediately. Well, there was uh, money spent, though. There, there has been, been, there's money. been a lot of money put into raises dollars. or into trying to recruit and trying to, so there is a kind of a systematic larger issue. And, you know, there have been past efforts that I thought were intended to get Indiana into step with other states. And so that obviously never quite happened. You know, I think the there needs to be a larger just culture shift. Obviously, you have to pay some people more. You have to make some hires. But there needs to be a culture shift in the way things are done at DCS. And that's not going to be something that the governor can just come out in the first day and change. No. That is going to be a long, systematic process of change. And it's good that they're getting started. I do think Governor Holcomb is taking the situation very seriously. I don't think it's just going to all get like a year from now. I think we will have see some changes, but in a year from now, it won't all be fixed. Yeah. Uh, some, of the, some of the recommendations are these things that we've all talked about now, which is structural. So changing the definition of what, what's a case, whether it's instead of counting the individual child, it's, well, it's a family with maybe multiple children. And then changing the definition of neglect, um, that it should, maybe it's too broad, the, the evaluator suggested, and too many cases are going to the courts. While there are rational policy reasons that would seem to indicate maybe some of those things need to be changed, politically, can you really make some of those changes? Because that probably doesn't look good. Well, um, I think you're right. You have to be careful because you want to be able to make sure you can look at the statistics because that's what we have basically and be able to compare with some reliability what's going on. Um, to change these definitions for political purposes or to um, try to adjust this, the, the way the statistics look would be very disappointing and I think um, would indicate that we're not on a proper path. I think that the path that we have seen, and it's about this long and one that's about five million miles long, um, is encouraging. Uh, but it's going to take multiples of $25 million to make sure this thing turns around because Leslie's right, we're turning a freighter with an oar here. And it's going to be a long time until we see solid progress. And it's in the governor's best interest to make sure that he brings us up to date on a regular basis about what's happening and what's going on. Because what happens within DCS is not sexy work. It's not exciting. It is critically important. But the the other, one of the other problems with the two is exactly who DCS is serving. And I think that's part of the, the, the problem here. They need we're, to serve the children. We're, we're serving the children, but we're serving poor children. And we're serving children and families with opioid addiction. And, and I, I think we have to take... Biggest, maybe that's the biggest, the biggest problem, is that, that. It, 
is that the problems within DCS are probably not DCS's problems. They well, are some of them are some, DCS's problems. Some of them problems. are DCS's problems, but I mean the core. I mean this explosion we've seen in the case. Well, that's, that's why right. this makes it's sense to look at these previous reports because when the numbers really started moving, it was in 2013, and that if you that coincides with the opioid uh, right. e epidemic. And the number one, the top line recommendation was get that get treatment off the front lines for these DCS caseworkers and put it where, yeah. put it in the special well, programs that are designed to do true, that. that's true, but some of these problems predate the opioid crisis, and some of these, quote, evaluations that were supposed to put us on the right yeah, path the real also of, predated. The real burden of these cases, the ratios exploded starting yeah. There's no that's question. True. All right. Well, time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, does Governor Holcomb's action on DCS signal the start of real improvement at the agency? A, yes, or B, no. Last week's question, will the initial agreement with North Korea lead to its complete denuclearization? 13% say yes, 68% say no, and 19% say it's a little too early to tell. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. The Trump administration this week temporarily repealed its policy of separating children from their parents at the border a policy which the administration said doesn't exist, was Democrats' fault and that it couldn't change. Both the Democratic and Republican candidates in Indiana's Senate race said the U.S. should not separate parents from their children at the border, but those candidates didn't agree on who's to blame for the policy. Incumbent Senator Joe Donnelly joined his fellow Democrats on a bill to end the Trump administration's family separation policy. Republican Senate candidate Mike Braun says families shouldn't be separated, but he said Congress's inaction on immigration is to blame and that it's up to Congress to fix it. Michael Bryan, President Trump repeatedly blamed Democrats for this policy. Is there any reality in which that's true? Thanks for the gentle lead-in to a uh, pretty <laughs> dicey uh, topic here. Um, I don't think there's a straight line to blame in any part of this um, debate, really, politically. Um, I think the last four presidents, at least, because Congress hasn't comprehensively addressed immigration reform since 1987. So we've had four presidents who have had to try to enact this by judicial mandate, um, executive, executive order, order yeah. administration policy. I mean, I know the lead-in that it's not their policy, they can't change it, it doesn't exist, you know, the, all those things are kind of true. It wasn't their policy. They're, they, they inherited a, a situation where they're not legally allowed to separate these families and detain them. So the question is really on enforcement. The Obama administration did exactly what the Trump administration is doing this week, and they're trying to reverse that. The, they, the Obama administration couldn't do it. So, but, but, the, but the difference is the Trump administration is criminally pursuing these people and is on a zero-tolerance basis, where the Obama administration pursued them civilly release them into the community, and then a lot of times we never saw them again in that kind of catch and release, which is Although why you could argue... Something like two-thirds came back came for back. the but hearing. You, but you could argue that the reason we have a 636% increase in undocumented, uh, unaccompanied children coming to the border, the reason that we have a 300% increase in families with children coming to the border is because of those policies leading into this. So there's plenty of blame to go around. This is not a black and white issue where, where Democrats are to blame and Republicans aren't. Um, but there's a lot more here than, and I understand that we're fighting with policy and law and, you know, the, the, an image of a child being taken away from a mother. I understand the politics of it, but the realities of the policies behind the, those decisions and how we got here is not Donald Trump standing by himself over a kid. Actually, it is. It's exactly what it's it not. is. Donald Trump created this problem by separating the children from their parents. That was his decision. He did it because he appears strong, and he wants to appear strong, and that's what he said. 
Well, it happened you get, because you get, he, he wanted to prosecute them. Right. And he then wanted that to, he results in the separation. Them, he separated, knowingly separated the children from their parents and then said it's up to the Democrats to take care of it. Rather than okay? just release everybody. Well, two-thirds of those everybody's came and back, as a matter of fact. You could argue okay. that Donald Trump's well, we don't president know now. that We don't know how many of the 2,500 children they've separated are going to be separated permanently from their parents and whether they even know where they are because this was a cruel and inhumane tactic that Donald Trump adopted and then said Congress had to fix. And then you get Mike Braun Congress up there saying it. it's Congress's job to fix. It is Congress's and his own job president, to fix. His own president underlies the fact that he can do it with an executive order after telling people he couldn't. He lies and lies and lies, and lemmings like Mike Braun buy it. And that's why he wants to be in Congress, so he can be another me too for Donald Trump, whatever half-baked idea he has. Is this going to hurt the policy aside, looking politically at the situation? And obviously, in an election year, you kind of have to do that because the political outcomes affect the policy outcomes. Um, politically, is anybody winning this one? Everyone loses this one um, because of the imagery that is involved here. Um, and the Republicans certainly lose the public perception battle um, when you see this. But the reason everybody loses is because what we saw in the wake of this, this uh, week's events is that there is zero credibility for anybody in anything. We have gotten to a point where everything is fake that we disagree with and everything is real that we agree with. Um, there is no discernment. And so, from a political perspective, we'll see the ads, and they'll be out there from both sides, and they will cause outrage among everybody from one point or another. And the only thing that it will do is cause people to tune out and turn off. And that's exactly what people on either extreme want, because that means that people who are rational and thinking are not rational and are not thinking, and they've opted out of a pro process that is incredibly important for them to participate in. If we had 80% participation in our electoral process, we would have a much different atmosphere today, uh, much different, but we don't. When we're still several months out from the election, uh, we keep talking on this show and elsewhere about staying power. Um, is this the sort of issue that has staying power through November? It has staying power because the images were so in incredibly moving and disturbing. And so it has more staying power than a lot of issues because there is so much about it to see and to hear. I mean, frankly, the sounds of this imagery were, oh. were uh, yeah, more disturbing even than the images themselves. But I, you know, you said it, everybody loses in politically. They should lose. The idea that this is somehow, I mean, that a Democrat, the Democrats' fault or the Republicans' fault is frankly hilarious. This is a systematic failure by Congress under all both party administrations and their both party leadership to deal with an extremely serious situation with our borders and with. It, it, you know, whatever side you land on in the immigration debate, whether you believe people should be able to come here and live their lives freely, whether you think the borders should be cut off, it's not working for anybody on either side. And it's Congress's job to figure that out. Donald Trump did not handle this situation well. He, he didn't, 
It was not right to blame the Democrats and not blame the Republicans. He should have foreseen that his actions would cause these problems. But to act like that that he suddenly created a situation out of nothing is is ridiculous. Even if he wanted to do what he wanted to do, he could have made arrangements to keep the families together. That may be, but the underlying issue There's some legal issues even with doing that, though. You you can't can't detain detain the children for longer than 20 days. That's right. So that means that creates its own problems, too. You can't detain them with the families, which is why the executive order tried to sidestep that. But only for a small amount of time. Right, and so his executive order tried to sidestep that law and work it through the, the Defense Department. Right, Which and is that's just going to end up right that. back in the court. It's not going to happen. Gonna be right, they're going to be right back in court. It's not going to happen. All right, well, Indiana Democratic Party delegates this week officially nominated their candidates for statewide office at this weekend's convention, and two of those candidates signed on to run only shortly before the party's big meeting. Jocelyn Whitaker, the Democrats' candidate for auditor, and treasurer candidate John Aguilera only filed for those races less than two weeks before the convention. Whitaker, Aguilera, and Secretary of State candidate Jim Harper were each uncontested within the party. Each member of the Democratic statewide ticket emphasized the need to eliminate Republican control at the State House. Leslie Weidenbetter, how bad a sign is it? The Democrats only found two of their statewide candidates so close to the nominations. I'm not sure it's as much a bad sign as it is just reality. Republicans win these races year after year after year. And frankly, that's not where the Democrats should be spending their time and money. These are, if, if you, if the Democrats want to win some races that are important and are going to make big, you know, are going to help them regain some control in the state, this is not the place to do it. And so I don't think it's a big deal at all that they, that they, their candidates came on at the last minute. We, we've been talking and we've heard about this idea of a blue wave going on around the country. We've seen evidence of it going on around the country. Um, a lot of people don't think it will come to Indiana, at least not in the kind of numbers we've seen elsewhere. But is it harder to make the argument that there is a blue wave in a state like Indiana when you have statewide candidates that are harder to recruit? Um, I, I, the implication of a blue wave and the definition would be that Democrats are winning elections at a rate higher than they otherwise would. And I think you'd, you'll see that definitely uh, so one, one way or the other. What's that? So they need one. Well... well <laughs> That would be a hundred percent Indiana wave. One, one wave. So maybe it's an Indiana ripple. But, but, and I'm not, I'm not sure what's going to happen. There's too much time between now and then to make that prediction. But we will know if the Democrats have been inordinately successful, and we'll know in a hurry. And it won't be dependent on their recruitment process. Um, you know, they do need uh, to be energized. They do need to inject money and ideas into the party. Uh, and I think that um, if they do have some success in November, then that will help a lot. How did this, if, the, if, if winning for these statewide candidates is probably not winning since it's been literally decades since any one of these three did win. So, But if winning isn't winning... I think well, winning can well, be if, winning. What's, what's a win if they can't <laughs> Look, secure these, the office? These, these candidates I mean. are supremely qualified for this, uh, and, and the, the, the ticket is diverse, both geographically and ethnically and by gender and all of those things. And just because we're not recycling like the Republicans do, candidate to different offices all the time, does not mean anything significant, okay? So w- do we have a big blue wave? Does it, does it in, encompass all of these offices? I don't know. There's some theory that some of these offices should be appointed anyway, because who knows what the auditor does, and who cares? The auditor doesn't audit, for, for one thing. Uh, yeah, with Tara outside Klutz, help. As, t- as Tara Klutz often yeah. says in her speech. That's what the, the, uh, 
is, is Leslie right, though? Is, is wins, are important victories for Democrats in Indiana this November, not so much the auditor and the treasurer, but things at the state house that maybe these statewide candidates can still help with? Absolutely. It depends what your goal is, I guess. I mean, if it's, it's, if it's to eliminate the supermajorities, then yeah, right? I mean, it's, it's go win, win, some, win some House seats. Um, if it's to make America nice again, like John Aguilera wants to do, then I guess you go get elected treasurer and do that somehow. Um, these, the administrative offices, these are, these are important. I don't think they should be appointed. I don't think, in, I don't think you do either. You think the Secretary of State who runs the elections ought to be an appointed position? Actually, you don't think it should be accountable yeah. to I mean, we've advocated, advocated <laughs> this for this, what, 20 years ago, yeah. as a matter of fact. I know you're young, God, but why do yeah. I, why do I do that? I, I, I forget right to not ask you questions, one. something. <laughs> uh, especially stuff that predated me going to high school. Um, oh, <laughs> that is nice. You know, it, 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 like your president, right you can still read about history even if you didn't live it this is uh uh walked right into this this is a war this is a warm body exercise for democrats you just you just don't want to be the last one in the room when they're when they're picking these candidates so um you know i think we republicans have three women running who are supremely qualified in the issue areas where they're running for these offices tell me it's the year the year of anti-incumbency that's true we so there heard but about i don't that think too. you can call an incumbent recycled i mean that then you got to call joe donnelly a recycled candidate well, i mean he's the one saying that you can't that no incumbent's gonna sleep win joe, sleep joe. i haven't said that well, well, you've, you've, been come asking that question. you've come close no, i just ask questions on this show that's <laughs> yeah. all i'm here to but do but the way you ask them does give some insight to the way you're thinking I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Republican Senate candidate <laughs> Mike Braun has a new TV ad out this week. I'm just glad I can bring you together as National Democrats continued their assault on Braun with two new statewide ads of their own. Braun's new ad continues to tout his auto parts distribution company, Meyer Distributing, responding to Democrats' attacks on the way he's run that company. We're proud to be made in America, and unlike Senator Donnelly's family, We'd never send jobs to Mexico. The swamp will keep attacking us, but we'll just keep telling our American story. Two new ads from the Senate Majority PAC, a group affiliated with Democrats, continued attacks on bronze business practices while shielding Joe Donnelly from assaults. This junk on TV attacking our Senator Joe Donnelly. It's baloney. The truth is, those ads are paid for by out-of-state billionaires. All right, John Katzenberg, i got to start with this. <laughs> Those are, those are out-of-state Democratic ads in which they complain about out-of-state funding of ads By against Joe Donnelly. Billionaires. Well, I'm not sure some of the people who were funding the Democratic right. ads are poor. Um, well, a billionaire <laughs> and poor aren't quite the same. No, but is that, is that just a little too rich? Rich. An interesting way to put that. Yeah, we have an awful lot of rich involved in our um, political process, and it does come down to the money, which is the grist of, of the realm, unfortunately. Uh, to mix that whole phrase up. I could have done better if I'd have, if I'd have gone a different way. you got to tighten this up. I knew. I need to edit. But at any rate, um, the, the situation is, uh, is ironic that they are using out-of-state money to attack an out-of-state ad. And it's indicative of the entire process and what has caused the problem in the process that I discussed earlier. Um, there's too much money in politics. There's too much... Uh, money to be had in politics, and it's all about power rather than policy or service. And so until we get some kind of grip on those things, we're going to end up with these kinds of ads, and we're going to end up with spurious claims, and we're going to end up uh, with people saying, God, I can't wait until the election's over because I can get my TV back. Um, look, I'm all about seeing TV uh, or, or, or car ads again, too. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I, don't, I want to ask about this, though. 
because the first two ads we've seen from Mike Braun now are sort of trying to reclaim a narrative instead of establishing one of his own, because we have now seen this out-of-state money principally, although a little bit from the Donnelly campaign himself, but mostly from these out-of-state groups that we knew were coming, attacking him and the business record in a story that came out from the primary. How concerning is that for Republicans? Uh, well, I mean, the truth is all of the messages are going to get lost in the end. Mm. I mean, you, so will some people believe that Mike Braun is a great businessman who uh, should be in office because of all the experience he has? Yes, they are Republicans. Will uh, there be a whole group of people who believe that he's a terrible businessman who treats his workers terribly? Yes, and they're a bunch of Democrats. All the people who will turn this election, those messages are going to get lost. Mm. It's going to get terribly muddy. I'm not sure I agree with John completely that there's too much money. I just think it's badly used. <laughs> I just can't get over the fact that everybody does the same thing every every election cycle after every election cycle. It all cancels each other out, and nobody can figure out a way to actually talk to voters in a way where they will listen. That's where the money should be spent. Quickly, I, how does Mike Braun get back on the front foot? Well, I think th this uh, idea that you have to start running ads for the general election the day after the primary is still a relatively new one. And so Mike Brown, I don't think he's reestablishing. I think he just uh, has a broader audience now. And so he's, he's just communicating to a broader audience his, his um, career in, in business here in Indiana. For the Democrats, is this just keep hammering this issue because it's got yeah, him on his heels? I mean, you, you, you do because, I mean, his record of being fined and, and, and cutting his employees off of health insurance and, and paying almost double the minimum wage, I'd like to see him manage on less than $30,000 a year and see how he can do with that. So, yeah, I think it's a message that'll, that will resonate. And uh, I think the other big problem with him is that he's, he's a trumpet. That's all he wants to do. He wants to take away. He wants before. to take away the uh, uh, individual, uh, well, the lifetime caps. He wants to take. He wants to take away pre-existing condition coverage. He wants to do those things to Hoosiers that are going to hurt middle-class families. You told and me that I think quickly. that's a big problem. That's true. I'm sorry. I will give you back some more time. <laughs> I mean, we haven't seen that yet in but any of will. these ads. If it's coming, is that necessarily going to hurt Mike Braun? Uh, look, I, mean, I think the dice cast in a lot of those issues already in Indiana. We've litigated Obamacare now for five straight election cycles, right? And Republicans have won every single year. Yeah. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, Leslie Weidenbender of the Indianapolis Business Journal, and political analyst John Katzenberger. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.